Hi, Redemption Gateway. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm part of the teaching team. And today I get to walk us through the second half of Psalm 23. But first, think about with me, maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but have you ever driven around in a developing country? Like, uh, I, I remember when I was in high school, we went on a mission trip to Dominican Republic, and we had a tour guide who was taking us from the airport to the place where we we're going to be working and serving. And it was a fairly emotionally exhausting trip because as soon as you pile into this, you pile like 18 high schoolers into a van meant for about 11, you pile your baggage on top of you, and then you set out on these dirt roads with no street signs, no traffic stops, no yellow, green, red, nothing. It is just chaos and the Wild West getting from start to finish. And there's people cutting you off. You're cutting people off. You're, you're blowing through stop signs. It's like they don't even exist. And there's just, you know, off to your right, there's a family of five on a little moped. Off to your left, there's a tank. And we're just trying to get to where we're going. And the whole people are in the, are in the van feeling overwhelmed. And the main thing that we were thinking was, I'm glad that I'm not the one driving because this would be crazy. A lot of us had just gotten our licenses, and so thinking through what it looked like to navigate this type of chaos was insane and scary. And afterwards, we asked the driver, you know, have you ever been in a wreck? He's like, no, why would I get in a wreck? Everyone knows what's going on. Like, he understood the rules. He knew where he was going, and he had been there, done that. And so over the course of the week, as he took us from various place to place, our, our anxiety and stress went down, even though the chaos around us did not, because we learned to trust and follow the character and capacity and even the skill of our guide. That this idea of trying to navigate life in the midst of chaotic circumstances, of in the midst of a place where you're going, I'm glad I'm not the one in the driver's seat, really connects with our season in life right now. The question is this, is do we have a guide that is worth trusting? And if so, what's he doing? In this 23rd Psalm, we talk about how the Lord is leading us through the valley of the shadow of of death, that when things are dark, when things are hard, when the journey ahead of us is chaotic, are we the type of people and are we the people who are willing to follow our guide? And here's our big idea for today as I walk us through this text is that we don't have to fear our journey because we know our destination and our guide. We know where we're ultimately headed. And we know who is leading us there. And so even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear what is going on. So let me pray and then I'm going to walk us through this text. Father, I pray that we will experience you as our good shepherd, that we will walk as you are calling us to walk, that we will follow as you're calling us to follow. And I ask that in the midst of these times that really are scary, that we would learn that we don't have to be governed by fear because we can trust you, our guide, and we know ultimately where you're taking us. Amen. Amen. First, so let's just talk about this journey. Let's, let's talk about the details, the facts here. Um, this is Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A lot of times we think that the scriptures are just naively positive, but they're actually absolutely sober. We are in the shadow of death. 
of deep, absolute darkness. The picture here is that of a valley where it, the, the wall goes up steep on this side and the wall goes up steep on that side and the shadow is so dark we can't see in front of us. It actually kind of makes me think about my son in his room. We have the blackout shades on and every now and then he'll cry and I'll have to go in there and I go from you know generally being in daylight to going into his absolute pitch back room and, and there's a wall here and a wall here and you have to walk in and go to his thing and so once I get in there and I finally replace the binky I tend to walk out through the through the door like this because I'm trying not to, I have I've smashed into this wall I've smashed into that wall and I have to kind of try to feel my way through the crevice and this type of pitch black can't see what's going on scary situation is not just something that's true of us when we are in those literal physical conditions but, they, but it can be true of us when we're in those emotional conditions as well. This feeling of, I, I have no options this way, I have no options this way, it's closing in, I can't breathe, it's hard to see. And this is the condition that the psalmist is describing for us. I am in the valley, in the crevice of the shadow of death. I can't see in front of me, I'm trapped, so I'm claustrophobic, I can't see behind me. I'm not exactly sure what, where my foot and step of me is going. Maybe that's who you feel. Maybe you've hit a variety of valleys of the shadows of death, whether it's the cancer diagnosis comes. Maybe it's the layoff hits. Maybe it's the child is sick. Maybe it's your parents are gone. Maybe it's just trying to search through what to believe and what to think in a confusing situation. And there's just this feeling of, I can't even see the hand in front of my face. The valley of the shadow of death. Now, this is what it says next is, I will fear no evil. And you think, you kind of have to be a little bit of a crazy person to really be in the valley of the shadow of death and not fear. This, and so what this text isn't saying is I don't have somatic bodily reactions. I mean, there's lots of times where I have really intense meetings or really intense conversations and there's like that, uh, I need to go reapply my deodorant because I was, I was, my body was anxious or nervous. What, it's not saying that we don't have physical, emotional reactions to the world around us that's legitimately scary. Just like the first time I got in that car in Dominican Republic, I was pretty scared. But what it's saying is I'm not gonna be governed by or controlled by that fear. I'm not going to, because of the fear, step back, but instead I'm going to be willing to step in. And so the Bible's very blunt about our journey. We have one. We are on one. That God is taking us somewhere, and it is true, and it is an absolute reality that sometimes where he is taking us includes him taking us through the valleys of the shadows of death. Here's a question I, I have for you, I have for me is a lot of us are great with saying we're followers of Jesus. The question is, what happens when Jesus leads you into or allows you to walk into a place that you didn't want to go, a place where you didn't want to be? Does Jesus have that right in your life and in my life? Am, am I a conditional follower? Meaning, I'll follow you sometimes, but I won't follow you sometimes. I'll follow you until you try and take me there, uh, but I won't follow you if you try and take me there. I think that's true in a lot of our hearts and a lot of our minds. This belief that, yeah, God's my shepherd. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. But if he tries to lead me somewhere that's inconvenient or where my desires aren't immediately met, uh, we tend to get bitter or disgruntled or frustrated. And that's not all the time bad always. But I just want us to recognize that we all have conditions in our heart that we need to repent of. That, Jesus, I will follow you unless blank. 
What are those things? Because the Psalm 23 teaches us that we have this good shepherd, but at the same time, he's willing to lead us through the valleys. That's our journey that we're on. And when we think about our journey, it's important that we recognize that because we know where we're going, we know our destination. And this is the, the end of Psalm 23, which is ultimately good news for us, that this is our ultimate destination, that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist is getting to this point, David is getting to this point that even though I'm going through the valley right now, I know it's on the other side of that valley. I know it's ultimately on the other side of this darkness, and that is that I will dwell in God's house forever. This idea of being in the Lord's house for eternity. Do you have a place you love to go that just feels like rest, that just feels like safe, that when you can go, you don't have to pretend, you don't have to project, you don't have to be someone besides who you are. You can just sit down, relax, and you know, the, the stress just kind of fades from your body. Like my, my initial thought is, you know, going to my parents' house during football season on a Sunday, I sit on the couch, my dad's sitting there. There's this feeling of we don't need to be something or do anything. We can just rest. Maybe you don't have that type of safe place. Maybe you don't have that type of household where you can you experience your household as rest. Maybe your household even is your valley of the shadow of death. But we, what we need to understand as Christians is that this idea of being in the house of the Lord forever teaches us that our ultimate hope is that we will be in the house of the Lord, which is a safe and restful place forever. That even if my entire life, this side of the return of Christ, if even if my entire life, this side of my own death is marked by valley after valley after valley after valley, I know that my ultimate destination is that I will be in the Lord's house forever. Resting, not proving, not impressing, just existing as God's called me to be. That's true of you, And that's true of me. And I hope that we as Christians don't become just these naive optimists who say next week it's going to be better, the sun will come up tomorrow, because maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe this valley leads into another valley. But we need to be people who are hope-shaped, recognizing that our eternity will be absolutely marked by the presence of God in our midst of our rest. The question is, if right now we are here, but God is going to certainly in eternity take us here, what does that journey along the way look like. So even going back to that car ride in the Dominican Republic, I didn't know, I knew that we were going to our dorm and that we're coming from the airport and I had no idea what this was going to look like, but because I knew that the guide knew, I knew that I was going to ultimately be okay. The guide knows where he's taking me and so I don't need to panic. And so I want us to think about our guide and this is actually the main point of Psalm 23. That the reason I don't need to be afraid of the path, the reason I don't need to be afraid of the journey getting to the destination is because my guide is present with me. This is the idea. For you are with me. Psalm 23 verse 4. He's with us. You know, just, just earlier, it's, it's, so this idea of Jesus being with us is, you know, interesting because sometimes we, that, that, that can be scary. All of a sudden you're surprised that someone is right there. You know, just earlier, you know, we're filming this in the box and Berlin is sitting right over there and we were talking about uh, filming this and then all of a sudden, you know, Bobby, who had been standing there for 10 minutes, was right behind Berlin, but Berlin didn't know that Bobby was there and all of a sudden she was surprised and Bobby was right there. But this, so this is like, is Jesus just like, creepily sneaking up on me? What does it mean that he's with me? What's it like? And there's this, can be this moment of surprise where you go about your day-to-day life and all of a sudden you're going, whoa, 
God's with me. I didn't notice, but he's here. And that's very often what happens in even my own life. I tend to spend so much of my life kind of in neutral in this functional atheism, even though I say that I'm a believer. And then kind of sometimes there's a surprise. God is real and he's present with me. A lot of times we forget that God is present with us. And there can be this moment of surprise. And the reason that's good news is because of what he's like. And there's actually three things about our guide that I want to comfort our hearts and to instruct our minds as we try to be a people who actually follow our guide through the way of the shadow of death. The first one is that our guide protects us. He protects us. This is coming from um, verse 4. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, these, this idea of comfort is, this removes some of my fear. The rod and the staff. Now, these two tools for shepherds in the ancient Near East were, were pretty particular. And the rod is actually a, is used of kings. And it, the, the purpose of the rod was to beat away the wolves who were coming after. It was, it was a protective rod. And even in, in Psalm chapter 2, the king is described as holding a rod that he is breaking the rulers of the evil nations with. So the rod beats away evil, protects from evil. I just think about, you know, even on this coronavirus season, I've been working out in my backyard a whole ton. And uh, I tend to take away this little thing called an Exer saucer, which I found on Facebook Marketplace for 20 bucks, which is great. We wiped it down um, fairly well. But we put, put my son in the Exer saucer. My wife and I each had one dumbbell. We're doing this workout, and there's this big, huge tree just across from our house in our neighbor's yard, and usually there's all these doves in there, but this time um, something weird was going on with some of these doves, like it seemed like one of them had just built a nest, but this dove started to kind of bombard us and was um, swooping down and kind of attacking, and I kept looking up and there was like, it just made a nest and there was like, you know, I don't know, a mom bird and then a dad bird, and they were just, you know, he was either showing off or trying to defend his, his new offspring, and I was also kind of not, I was trying to defend my new offspring and I was going, you know, there's going to be one loser here and it's this bird. And so I went and got a rod. I got a broom handle. I took the top of the broom handle off and I went and put it right next to me. And I was just ready to Babe Ruth that bird if it came close to my son. And I had the rod ready to go. And then my wife was upset because she's like, don't hurt the bird. I'm going, well, he's threatening my general well-being and I have a kid here. I went to full protection mode, you know. And anyway, the bird stopped swooping at me. I don't know if he saw the rod and got the point or if he just got bored or if it was all made up in my own head. I'm not totally sure. But I got the rod. I was ready to swat away the bird if it came and attacked. And it did come back every now and then. Uh, But this is the idea of the rod. It beats away the evil. That only that which God allows to get by gets by. God doesn't swing and miss. He's good with his rod. And so even the valley of the shadow of death that he allows to come upon us is not because he wasn't paying attention, not because he lacked the ability, not because he didn't have the tool, but because he was willing. And the, the other piece of the rod is, is the staff. And you know, the staff is for correction. When, when a sheep gets off track, it nudges its head and brings it back along. And even, even this, when I think about my own son, is interesting. Notice how much correction is needed. He's trying to sit up, he tumbles, you catch him. Tries to sit up, tumbles, he catches him. He's you know, barely able to sit up. But there's just more supervision needed, and hopefully I'll grow out of that and start acting like a second-time parent and not hyper-hovery as we go. But this, this, when we tend to lean to one side, the staff is there to correct. The staff is there to correct. And sometimes that discipline can be a little bit painful because the correction is a good swat, a good bump. 
but nonetheless, he's protecting us sometimes from ourselves and sometimes from our enemies. But we have a guide who protects. The next thing we want to talk about is our guide. He, he provides for us. He even prepares a table. So Tom 23 verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This anointing of the head with oil, uh, probably a similar way we can think about it in today's day is like when in the Olympic ceremony, when someone is, uh, they put the, um, the gold medal over their head. There's like, it's like a coronation ceremony. Like you are, there's dignity being conferred. It's, it's an award. It's a rite of passage. This prepare table before me in the presence of my enemies is basically a victory feast. It makes me think about back when I was at McClintock High School in Tempe, um, there was this big question of who had the best, best basketball team in Tempe and, you know, Tempe High, which, you know, was bad at everything. They're not, not really a factor. Then there was Marcos, which is only good at a couple things, not basketball. But then there was Corona and I went to Tempe, I went to McClintock High School and the Corona was like the, the richer, more affluent school and all those kids could afford to play club sports. None of us at McClintock could played club or and almost none of us could afford it and so they were kind of like the rich people on the other side of the tracks and we were kind of the scrappy group and there's this big rivalry because corona was them and mcclintock was us and we're the two good basketball teams and we had this big emotional game you know my dad was a coach with their technical fouls there were lots of flagrants and we ended up winning beating corona it was huge and right around the corner from McClintock High School is this little pizza joint called Nello's, which we loved. And so we would end up going out to Nello's after to celebrate the victory. And right when we walk into Nello's, who's sitting there eating except for the losers from Corona High School who lost the game. And so they, you know, in shame, ate quickly and then left. And we had this feast prepared to celebrate our victory. And it was kind of a rub it in your face moment. And then there's a moment where, you know, the coach stands up and says, as the team's, as Corona's leaving, you know, to the best basketball team in Tempe. And we all were cheering and happy and in a good mood. And there's, there's this measure here of like that God is okay with rubbing it in the face of those he's overthrowing and defeating. Which feels a little weird. But then we as Christians have to recognize that the only reason we're at the table in the first place is because God in his grace put us there. But people who set themselves against God always end up losers and God, unless God changes their heart and brings them to himself. And all of us were on the verge of ending up on the losing side who were going to be the people who God said, look, I'm going to prepare a feast and you're invited. And if you're not going to be on this team, you can't be on this team. But there's this just reality that God is providing more than we need. Our cup is overflowing. That if we belong to God's family, we lack nothing in the ultimate sense that he is abundantly providing for us, not just food, not just meals, but this, this attitude or this celebration, this victory mentality that even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, man, I'm with the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so even in the midst of seasons of lament and sadness and sorrow, we can simultaneously think through the gratitude of the fact that our God prepares tables for us feasts for us in the presence of our enemies, that we have victory over sin that God celebrates with us. These small acts of faith God celebrates with us. Our God provides. And the last thing that we see here is that our God pursues. He comes after us. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life 
being followed around. When I think about being followed around, I think about my dog, Calvin. Whenever something's happening in the kitchen, he's like standing between your legs. I step on him often on accident, just so you know, it's on accident. But I step on him often because he's trying to just get the table scraps. And then if I have something in my hand, food, and I'm walking, he is on my heels, following me around like this clingy, starving to death dog, which he is not. He has plenty of food, but he's following me. He's all the way around. Or even I think about there's times when I'm driving and I look up in my rearview mirror and there's a police officer in my mirror. And immediately I kind of tense up, 10 and 2, check my speed limit. There's like this nervousness. Mind you, I've only gotten tickets from cameras, never from an actual police officer. But there's this moment where I'm going like, I'm being followed. You know, did they, did they see that, you know, stop sign that I only slowed down to one miles an hour at, you know, three miles back? Are they coming for me? And you know, all the time they turn away, but there's like this, oh no, I'm being followed. But this, this anxiety producing I'm being followed um, is not what it's like being followed by God. In fact, um, the message translates this even better than the ESV. What the message says is that your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. That when I wander away, when I walk away from God, when I sin, when I stumble, when I take myself into the depths, when I forget that God exists, when I, when I walk in a sinful way, when I harbor sinful attitudes, when I assume the worst of other people, that God is chasing after me, that he is coming to get me, and that is good news. It's not like being followed by an angry driver who's upset with you. It's not like being followed by a police officer who's about to write you a ticket and correct you. It's like being followed by your mother who's surprising you with a feast. It's like being followed by your best friend who wants to remind you that he's in the neighborhood and it's good to see you. It's like being followed by a father who you haven't seen in a while who's just wondering how you're doing. It's like being followed by God himself, the one who overspends, who loves his children, who with great exuberance fills their cups until they overflow. Now, when we talk about how God is a shepherd, he's not just a shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. He is the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's the one who, what looks like reckless business practice, leaves behind his shirt and certain investment and goes to us who have walked away, that we are the one who have walked away from him and yet he continues to pursue and follow and run after us. That our God is not one who says, you know what, I did my best, forget him. But our God is one who every day relentlessly gets back on his horse and follows us until he woos us into himself. He is the God who searches for and brings close to his own children. Do you believe that your God follows after you like that? That he is chasing, pursuing, finding, connecting with, reminding, bringing you to attention the fact that he is coming after you every which way because this is the God that we worship. We sing a song here every now and then that's all about how there's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up, but he is coming after us and that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we get there because he leads us there. Sometimes we get there because we just wander because we're bored, because we're sinners. But he is climbing mountains, he is climbing valleys, he is lighting up darkness and he is coming after us because he is the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's a shepherd who takes on flesh born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who dies in our place, absorbing our full punishment so that we could be in intimate relationship with him, who now by his spirit is present with us, shepherding us in the day-to-day grind of our lives. Is that the God you believe in? Because if it isn't, you have a bad view of God. 
and he is bringing you back to himself. Here in this moment, I want us as Redemption Gateway to recognize this. Here are the things that are true. The valley of the shadow of death is real and it is around us and it is present, but we have a guide who protects us, pursues us, and blesses us to the fullness above beyond our even imagination. And so we can recognize that he's with us and so that we can sing to him and celebrate of the fact that history is in control, that chaos does not exist, but we are inhabiting God world and God has chosen to give us special attention and so we are the sheep of his pasture and so we can sing. And so Redemption Gateway, as we close out the Psalm 23 sermon series, I hope that we can raise our voices and lift our hearts to the fact that God is the one who's on the throne and that he has sought after us and that we did not contribute to the meal he's making for us, but rather we just receive it with gratitude and praise. So let me pray for us and we'll sing together. God, thank you for being the good shepherd that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, but thank you for being the one who pursues us when we walk away, who woos us when we're not interested, and who reminds us of the fact that you are here and present even when we have long forgotten. God, I pray that we can trust you regardless of where our journey takes us because we know our ultimate destination is in your house for eternity and that you are our guide leading us along the way. Amen.